Welcome to the Real Film Nerds Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to the Real Film Nerds Podcast, episode number 258. This week, Mysterious Mike Talent and myself, Matt, who does not ever really talk like that, chat about a film that is getting a lot of Oscar nomination buzz. Personally, I don't know why, but uh, yeah, here we go. The Power of the Dog, a Netflix original. Mike, welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? Kind sir, you look so comfortable sitting in your closet. Are you ever going to come out of the closet, Mike? I don't know, man. I don't know. Ask R. Kelly. Wow. He just went there. And, and or uh, in the uh, South Park reference, uh, you know, Tom Cruise and uh, John Travolta. Oh, yeah, that's true. Speaking of South Park, Mike, did you get to watch the premiere of South Park last week with a uh, pajama day? I did, man. I did pajama day. It's, I'm all about it, man. It it reminded me of a certain uh, thing that we have to wear on our chins. Uh, the chin diapers. Yes, yes. I, I thought it was fun. I don't think it was a great kickoff. It wasn't like super incredible, but uh, it was a decent episode. I'm looking forward to a lot more. Hopefully we get a full season this year. I really would like that. So anyways, I don't want to keep talking about South Park. We are here to talk about movies. Mike, why don't you give us the rundown for the Netflix original, The Power of the Dog? All right, Matt. I will do that. Uh, the Power of the Dog was directed and written by Jane Champion. Uh, it's based on a novel by Thomas Savage. It's uh, starring uh, ben- Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith-McPhee. And this movie is a charismatic rancher. Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. Uh, Mike, I think you uh, mispronounced the name for our lead actor. It's, I believe it's pronounced Benedict Cucumber Snatch. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think so. I don't I don't know, man. I I'm pretty good at not pronouncing things though. I don't know, Mike. I'm seeing Benedict Cucumber Snatch. I don't know about you, but you know, that's what I that's what my mind says. Oh, that's so terrible. <laughs> I, I just thought I had to bring that out. That was so funny. Someone told me that the other day. <laughs> okay, well Um on that note, Matt, this I could see why this movie is getting a lot of buzz, but it's it's kind of one of those movies that I think it's getting a lot of buzz because it's not clear what the movie's about, and a lot of people read into it about what they want to it to be about. And I'm still I'm still processing the movie, man. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure what it's about. Well, Mike, you watched it this morning, so of course you're still processing it. I mean, you were watching it on your phone at work, like all good people do, right? No, no, Matt. I watched this over the weekend, and I'm I'm just still trying to figure out what the heck happened. Well, all right, Mike. That's why we're here. We are here to discuss it. Um, it might be a little difficult because this is a spoiler-ridden film. It's hard to talk about without spoiling it because there's a lot of twists and turns towards the end of the film. So, Mike, let's just kick it off before we start spoiling it. What are your first impressions of it, Mike? Did you enjoy it? Did you hate it? 
what do you think? I don't know, man. It, it was pretty sad. It was it's pretty like somber kind of movie. So overall, the beginning and the end uh, were pretty much kind of the same, which was a little bit sad. Okay, I agree with you. I think it was brutal to watch, especially how uh, Benedict was extremely ruthless and just cruel is a nice way to put it. I mean, yes, he's mean, but he's cruel. He's not just mean. He's sadistic. He's he's just evil. He just is. He And God knows why maybe he had some things go south in the past or whatever, but he's just mean to pretty much anyone and around him, including his brother who he constantly calls fatso but uh you know one of the problems i have with this movie is i think it's very slow it's extremely slow from start to finish just it's a two-hour long movie and it feels like a four-hour long movie the the scenery is beautiful but uh, i hate to say anything this is clearly not montana it does not look like montana at all I, I can't say I, I know enough about Montana's uh, geography, but it was a pretty uh, wherever they filmed, and, and that was nice. But I, it, it, you know, it was slow. And I'm still, you know, one of our main characters barely says, like, I don't know. Like, I felt like he said, like, maybe 50 words. So it was like... I don't know. It was, it was, it was a kind of a weird movie. Like, uh, you know, um, Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, character, Phil Burbank, he kind of had a lot to say on a lot of things, but he was just brutally mean to a lot of people. I, I don't know why. He just, I don't know. He just seemed like an angry person, and for whatever reason, which we'll never kind of figure out. It seemed like the brothers were close at one time and then maybe weren't. I, I don't know. Personally, it's... we can get into theories and reading. I feel that the brothers were close in this film. And then Kirsten Dunn's character, Rose, came in and got in between him, in between their relationship and made it a heck of a lot worse. Because as you see at the start of the film... The two brothers are literally sleeping in the same bedroom in this giant mansion of a ranch. Well, well, I think in the beginning, Matt, they're sleeping at that hotel when they ran the cattle. When they're when they're at their mansion, they sleep next to each other. Right. So that, that's what I was saying. Yeah. They sleep. To, they're in the same bedroom. They have this giant mansion. They're in the same bedroom. They could have be in completely separate bedrooms across the house, but they chose to be together even at home. And when okay. Rose yeah, comes right. along, Rose quickly divides them and separates them because, you know, husband and wife want to be in the same room. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that that's true, I guess, man. Um, and then the whole dynamic of... Uh, an adult son, I guess. The The confusing part was, was it her brother or was it her son? I wasn't 100% sure. It's her son. Yeah, that's her son. It is not her brother. That's her son from a uh, previous marriage. Um, the, uh, the kid, Peter Gordon, played by Cody Smith McPhee, who did a wonderful, wonderful job of being a creepy kid. Um, he is her son. 
his father committed suicide by hanging himself, and that's why Kirsten Dunst was a widow. Oh, okay, because like it seemed like a lot of times he called her her first name, which is not usually what you would do to your mom. But then, like once or twice, he did say "mom," and it was it was weird. It was awkward. I'm like, was that real? Was that not? I don't know. Yeah, no, I I get you, I get you, but no, she was his mom, and then um uh, uh Jesse Plemons becomes his stepdad, and then uh Benedict is uh uncle, and so like. He even like calls him, I think, Uncle Phil once or something, or just Uncle, and he corrects him. And that was when he was still pissy at him before spoilers, but before they start getting along. I'll phrase it that way. How's that? Okay. All right. All right. Um, well, Matt, I, I, I think it'll be hard not to spoil this. So I'm going to ask you a little question. Uh, what are you drinking this fine morning, evening, afternoon? Well, my courtesy of one of my clients right now, he works for a beer distributor and he provided me a handful of beers the other day at our home inspection, which was really nice of him. But I am drinking his favorite beer, a Pacifico. But look at this guy. That ain't a short Pacifico, is it? No, that's a tall boy. Is that like a 24 ounce? Yes, sir, it is. And uh, the beer koozie only covers a small portion. So I got to drink it fast. That's right. That's right. Um, Matt, I I am uh, also drinking a uh, Mexican beer, ironically. And uh, my beer is uh, Dos Equis Amber. Uh, and uh, I went to a Mexican restaurant and... Due to COVID and things, you can take things to go. Oh hell yeah! So uh, I got a beer to go, dude. I, I have, I still have quite a few Dos Equis Ambers in my refrigerator from the last twelve pack I bought. I probably have four or five left. I, it's seriously, I love Pacifico. I love Dos Equis Amber, but there are Mexican beers out there that I do not like. I'm not a huge fan of Tecate. I'll drink it. Don't get me wrong, I will drink that some bitch, but I'm not gonna really enjoy it like I do the others. Nice, man. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm trying not to spoil this movie, man. I'm trying to think of things that I can talk about that it won't spoil it. Okay, Mike. Well, how about this? Mike, why don't you tell us your favorite thing ever? What is this week's dad joke, Mike? I got dad jokes. I don't think they understand, though. Gotta think I'm funny. Other people never laugh, though. Dad jokes. Oh, man. You're going to love this one, Matt. You're going to love it. All right. Would glass coffin sell well? Yes. Remains to be seen. Oh, ho, ho, ho. God. You know, that is the gift that keeps on giving, Mike. Just every week, I'm just clamoring to hear what terrible joke am I going to hear. Dude, you're loving that shit. I can tell. I love you it. Can't, I love it. It's, it's hilarious. For the listeners that can't you know see because this is an audio only podcast mike has a giant smile across his face every single time he reads that joke and afterwards waiting for my reaction and it's still going right now he just took a sip of his beer and spilled half of it on his shirt because he's smiling so big it's true it's true i get a hole in my lip everything's just crazy all right mike here's my favorite part of the podcast the most important part of the podcast mike how does the power of the dog relate to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
Well, Matt, I'm sure this one's a big stretch, big, big stretch, especially coming off of Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm -hmm. But Benedict Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yep. Dr. Stephen Strange. Yep. Amazing, Mike. Now, I wonder if Kirsten Dunst technically qualifies well, I was going to say my backup's Kirsten Dunst, but I, I think she does kind of now, right? Because the Spider-Man kind of unified the stories. Right. So they're different universes, but it's still under the Marvel Cinematic Universe title because it's still the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though it was a Sony production. Well, this yeah. was a Sony production too, though. So I, I don't know. That's a gray area. But I think, Mike, we could be able to use those going on from here on out because spoilers for one of our past podcasts. But yeah, all those former Spider-Man films, you know, the Spider-Men made appearances along with a lot of their villains. So I think they count. They're part of the multiverse now of the MCU. I think so. I think so. I mean, at least the the villains and the the Spider-Men. But I'm thinking maybe some of the characters from the other movies. So... That's that's my thinking. But for this one, we didn't have to search too hard. Right. Well, but for future use, if you desperately need it, I think you can because even though it's a separate universe, it's still part of the MCU now because the multiverse is, you know, it's still like one thing. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to call it a universe. I mean, it's a universe, but there's multiple universes in this the broad spectrum of things. And they just showed us the amazing Spider-Man universe and the regular Spider-Man Sony universe. And so I wonder if Spider-Verse universe will be in there, you know, Miles Morales, because that's also an alternate universe, along with all the others from this Spider-Verse cartoon. Anyways, I'm getting way off topic, but... Yeah, way way off topic. But Matt, I think that means we are in the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. Do, 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 (laughs) do. All right, Matt, you can go ahead and do that every time. Spoiler zone. Nope, I'm cutting that bitch out, and I'll just replay it. <laughs> okay, Mike, go for it. You're going first. All right, Matt, with this with this movie, you know, the brother's relationship is key to this movie, and it's very, it seems very, like, strained at the beginning before uh, Jesse Plemons' uh, character, uh, George Burbank and Phil Burbank, uh, you know, like before George uh, Burbank marries Rose Gordon or, or Kirsten Dunst's character, it already seems like something's going on. Like he just seems distracted. I don't know. Like maybe it was this budding romance or whatever. I'm not sure, but it just, and it was odd. And then, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I didn't realize this in the beginning of the movie, but kind of in the middle of the movie, you find out that this ranch and, and these guys are, uh, you know, kind of wealthy and have been to like, uh, you know, Phil Burbank's been to Yale, I guess. And uh, they have the governor of Montana over at their house. Like, so they're pretty well connected, I guess. I, I don't know if it was just because the the ranching stuff they were doing or, or what, but, um, and that was an interesting kind of like 
Kirsten Dunst's character feels like she's not worthy of, I guess, the kind of the high class stuff. And I feel like she's all stressed, too, because uh, Phil Burbank uh, character is just constantly like, I don't know, pushing her buttons and like watching her and like just and she, she just starts drinking. Oh, man, just it's just a weird kind of stressful relationship. And then when her son comes, Peter. Things just get real bad, real bad. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, Mike, I'll try and make this quick, but there's quite a bit I can unpack from what you were saying. So one thing, again, this is just my observations. This movie, like we've talked about, is really left to interpretation. I feel that Jesse Plemons' character, George Burbank, is not as educated as Benedict Cumberbatch, even though he tries to play off that he is. If you notice, he's always wearing a suit. Even when he's riding a horse, he's wearing a suit of some level. Um, he does more the finances and the booking for the ranch. He doesn't really do the cowboying like what Phil does. So I think he feels threatened by Phil uh, because Phil has that huge education. As we saw with the uh, governor, everybody's asking, where's Phil? They want to have a conversation with him. They're even saying in which language, Greek or Latin or French, because he knows multiple languages from his education. But Phil chooses to be the pig in the mud you know the guy that's refuses to shower and bathe in the house but he's jumping in the river and covering himself with mud and he's riding horseback and you know he he wants to live that old world style where his brother is embracing the new world with everything going on when it comes to wealth clearly in my opinion they are extremely wealthy other than just the governor coming over the governor coming over is a big deal. That could be just a connection because you saw his parents do not live there. They live in the city somewhere, somewhere else, maybe even New York or L.A. Who knows? Nowhere in Montana. And they had to travel there by train. So that might have just been, oh, well, you know, mom and dad want to know the governor. And they want to say hello and all that stuff. And they're coming out to the ranch. Could be something like that. But the reason why I say they're extremely wealthy is, Mike, think about it. This is a giant ass ranch house in the middle of nowhere. And this is 1925, so the heart of the Great Depression. And what do they have going on at that house that is literally just coming into form in the world? Uh, they have car. They have a car. They have running water in the house. And they have electricity. Oh, yeah, they did have all that stuff in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. And they're a working ranch with... I don't know how many cowboys. Oh, it was like at least 20. 12? Oh, no. Yeah, at least like, 20, I think. Yeah, it was a lot. With, you know, not servants, but they had a cook, you know, stuff like that. So they're extremely, extremely well off just having those things in their home. Because as you see in the earlier scenes, they go to a restaurant where Kirsten Dunn's character's preparing meal and all that. There's not even electricity in that that restaurant. If you notice, there's candlelight in there. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah, in you're town. Right. So that that tells me they are extremely wealthy. But as Benedict elaborates, it's because they learned how to cowboy, they learned how to ranch, and they made a good living at it. Sure, I'm sure his parents probably had a level of it, but uh, it's because they've been successful at what they've done. So anyways... There's a lot there's a lot going on in this movie little subtleties like that that you know your average moviegoer doesn't get or pay attention to. But again, I I still I don't understand why all the critics absolutely love this freaking movie. I mean, all some of the reviews I've read after watching the movie, after watching the movie. They're saying, "Oh, you need to watch this at least two or three times to get everything." 
I got everything in one fell swoop. I knew exactly what was going on. I knew, you know, major spoilers. I knew exactly how the main character dies. I know why all that stuff from watching it once. A lot of them didn't catch on to it and had to watch it again. And they say that in their review. Did you get it, Mike? Oh yeah, dude. He died of anthrax because uh, the kid uh, did the uh, was aging the rawhide from the the cow that was sick on purpose, because uh, to protect his mom. Like it, it was, uh, it was premeditated. Uh, the the one thing I I am, you know, I guess we could talk about things because you know it's open to interpretation. But uh, Phil Burbank's uh, character was starting to warm up to Peter Gordon. I'm not sure if it was genuine at first and it became more genuine as it went along. But like, I feel like he was almost just doing that to poke, uh, Kirsten Dunst's character, like Rose, uh, more because she knew that, or he knew that she would be furious that it, um, her son and, and him were actually starting to get along and hang out. I think it's a little bit more than that, Mike. So if you, you remember the scene where he turns the corner and Phil calls him over there and they he's nice to him, all the cowboys are whistling and catcalling him. And I think Phil recognizes that, oh, this kid might be gay. I'm gay. Maybe this would be a relationship because he's clearly extremely closeted when it comes to his sexuality. Uh, Phil Burbank is. No one knows about it. He keeps that rag hidden from his uh, former mentor, uh, Bronco, uh, forgetting the name, but Bronco something. Bill or something? No, it was H. Bronco it was BH. And the reason why I say that is because there's a handkerchief that he keeps down his pants that has his initials on it. And he like rubs his face with it and smells it. And, you know, so clearly Phil is a homosexual, definitely but very, very closeted. Like he doesn't even pull that handkerchief out until no one is around. And the kid stumbles upon him and he just sits there and watches for a little bit. And then he turns around and runs away. He doesn't look at him and go, oh my God, I'm seeing something bad and runs away. And so I think that that starts getting that homosexuality thing between the two going and then feels like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And he went after it. The bigger one for me, Mike, that's messing with my head is the kid really gay or not? Because clearly the kid is protecting his mom. You hear that at the intro of the film. The kid was upset at about how abusive Phil was at the restaurant, which is at the beginning of the film. I think he started plotting against Phil at that point at the restaurant. And the cards just laid out perfectly fine for him to take him down. So my question is, is if Peter Gordon, the kid, really was a homosexual or if he was just playing to Phil Burbank's weakness. Uh I think he was he was playing to his weakness. I I think he identified his weakness much like Phil had tried to, you know, uh tear him down and break him down when he found his weakness. He he went all in. Yeah. He exploited it. He he, he knew and I I think when he found that weakness was that scene where he is bathing with the handkerchief and sniffing it and all that stuff. And he, you know, I think, but again, he might've picked up on that earlier, but that was clearly the kick open the door. This is how I'm going to take this guy down. And he just so happens to use a calf to, you know, that he goes, hunts down skins, uh, dries out the skin 
and then um, you know it's laden with anthrax. So they instantly put it back in water with this cut hand and everything. The anthrax went right into his hand, and that was it. Yeah, the the one thing that I I think is uh, was it was it convenient was, do you think Peter knew that his mom was going to give away the uh, the all the other hides they were supposed to burn, so that he could give him the anthrax laced, or do you think he was just going to make his own and then give it to Phil as a present and then it just kind of fell into place? I think it's the second one. I think it fell into place. Because I think he probably would have sat down and learned how to make his own rope because he was watching him and he was asking about him how to make it and how to braid it and all that stuff. So I think he probably would have made it and then switched him out. Ah, okay. Because if you look later at the very last, one of the last scenes of the film, he's taken the rope that him and that Phil had made for him and he won't even touch it unless he has rubber gloves on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he is clearly studying to do medical stuff, although he seems a little, to me, Maybe not the good, like like maybe getting towards the. Uh, I don't know, like like, you know, serial killer kind of stuff, where he's you know like dissecting everything and stuff, and and maybe maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it was all for school, but like the the rabbit scene, dude, <laughs> that was not now. Oh no, a hundred percent. I agree. The instant he started um, capturing and uh, cutting up animals. Sure, there might be a level of it that it's for quote-unquote school, but think about it, Mike. He just went to school, medical school. He would have been a freshman. He would not be anywhere near thinking about specializing in surgery, so he's doing that shit because he wants to. Yeah, yeah. So he's, you know, I mean, like you said, man, excellent, creepy character, dude. Like, woo. And, and Cody, Cody Smith, McPhee, fantastic job. He did a really, really good job. All the acting was pretty decent in here. I wouldn't say it's Oscar worthy in my opinion. Uh, one that I found kind of odd. I don't know if you know this, Mike, but Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst are married in real life and have kids. And they really felt kind of cold towards each other throughout the entire film. If you ask me, they're acting. I didn't, I didn't feel the chemistry there, but that might've been intentional for the film because as you see, she does become a, you know, extreme alcoholic. Oh man. No, I didn't actually know they were married. Um, uh, the, it seemed, uh, you know, like it seemed like she was, she couldn't handle what she'd gotten into with all the stuff with, with Phil and was just trying to drink herself away. Like it was weird. Well, and you don't even see them embrace or make love or do anything like that. You don't even really ever see them kiss except for, uh, that one scene where they're overlooking the hill and she's teaching him to dance. I think there's a little bit of hugging and kissing there. But other than that, you don't see it through the entire film. And then at the very end, when Phil's gone and, you know, creepy Peter is standing out, standing there upstairs, looking out the window and they're hugging and they're embracing each other. It's like they're relieved and they can finally be themselves and be together. So I'm thinking it might have been a choice not to have that chemistry between the two because, I mean, they're married. Come on. There's has to be chemistry there. But, dude. Talk about a creepy ass scene is when they're down there doing that, hugging and kissing and all that stuff after, you know, Phil's funeral. And Peter Gordon is out there looking out that window. That smile he has is super, super creepy. Oh, yeah, man. I was like, well, I guess I know who's next going to get the rope. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right, Mike. So honestly, 
this movie is thought provoking. We can talk about it all day long. Uh, theories, what really happened, all that stuff. So that's one of the things that I I like about this movie. But in my opinion, overall, uh, I don't think you should rush out to see it. If you're bored and you got the time or you're a fanatic like us and you want to watch all the Oscar nominated movies, I say, sure, sit down and take a look and watch it on Netflix. Why not? But I don't for me, it's not a must watch. I don't know. Mike, your, your thoughts. Um, you know, we, we will watch this because it's getting a lot of Oscar buzz and stuff. And, you know, it, it has some star studded cast. But man, it's it's kind of a somber, kind of a sad movie. So I don't know if I'd really recommend it to watch it. Um, the acting's good, but it's just kind of a you know it is a thought provoking story. But man, I don't know. So you know, I guess I guess with that, Matt, I wanted to take a break from some of these dramas. So so what we're reviewing next week is a wonderful Valentine's movie, isn't that right, Matt? Oh, incredible rom com. It's currently also streaming on Netflix, but uh, Mike, before we release what you want to talk about next week, which we could probably do the podcast right now without having to rewatch it because we I've watched it at least a dozen times. I'm sure you have too, but Mike, how many reels are you going to give The Power of the Dog? All right. With all that said, Matt, I think I'm going to give it, uh, I think I'm going to give it a two and a half out of five reels. You know, it was... It's it's good movie. You know, it's it's a beautiful area wherever they did film it. It it was just I don't know. It was just slow and just sad. <laughs> somber. It's mostly somber. I I mean it's some sad parts. Well, Mike, I know where they filmed it. Where did they film it? They filmed it in New Zealand. Well, I wondered if it, when I saw a New Zealand film, if it was actually in New Zealand, but I, I wasn't sure. Yep. They filmed the whole thing in New Zealand, including the studio picture, not the studio pictures, but the studio shots and things. Everything was 100% New Zealand. Yeah. And it's it's very, very pretty there, but it honestly, it does not look like Montana at all to me. It doesn't. The mountains are too, you know, small and just the 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 fields and the grass is just not quite. But anyways, beside the point, Mike, um, I'm kind of shocked. We're agreeing on this one, uh, and I think I'm being gracious giving it two and a half reels. Uh, I really think I probably should have gone lower. I, I, it's not it's not a great movie. I don't love it. Um, I think it's worth a watch if you're a lover of cinema and film. But outside of that, I, you know, I wouldn't recommend this to like my brother-in-law to watch it, or my nephew, or my sister. You know, my mom watched it. You'll hear her here in a few minutes. She really didn't like it either. Just mostly because it's mean and it's dark and it's, you know, sad. It, it kind of starts out sad and never really gets any better. No, nope. So next week, we're going to laugh our asses off. Mike, why not give us a little hint or just tell us what romantic comedy we're going to be chatting about for our Valentine's week podcast and the real film nerds podcast four year anniversary, Mike. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. Um, you know, Matt, it's, 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 a, it's an important time of year because it's the Catalina fucking wine mixer. <laughs> uh, oh yes. So for those of you who did not get that reference, Mike picked Step Brothers for next week, starring Will Ferrell and um, 
Oh, geez. John C. Riley. I always forget his name. John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, directed by Adam McKay, written by Adam McKay, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. This is a fantastic comedy. Mike, this is a great pick for our four year anniversary episode. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we've just been reviewing some kind of, uh, you know, really, really drama filled movies. And I felt like it was good to get some laughs in. You know, Valentine's is supposed to be kind of a fun time. And, you know, uh, with all the cards and the money that you spend, you might as well have a good time watching some stepbrothers. Let's do it. Do your thing. Get us out of here. And we'll see you next week. Not on our four-year anniversary because it's technically Valentine's Day, but you will see us a couple days or hear us, not see us. You will hear us a couple days afterwards knowing that that is our first podcast of four years. Dude, four freaking years. It's a lot of podcasting. Where'd it go, dude? Where'd it go? I don't even know. We have now been caught podcasting as long as we were in high school and college. Not combined. Whole, but holy crap. Yeah. Holy crap. And that's uh, that's the culmination of 258 episodes. Next week will be 259. Insane. On that interesting note, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And, uh, you know, go out there, catch a movie, stream a movie, whatever. I know the, the virus is still strong. The movie theaters miss us badly. So if you, if you could just go and watch a movie at a theater, that'd be great. Yeah. Catch us next week while we when we review Step Brothers for our uh four year anniversary. Man, four years. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you on the next pod. Thank you for listening to the Real Film Nerds. Now don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Real Film Nerds. Now go out and catch a movie. We have him in studio, the one, the only Matt Hinshaw from the Real Film Nerds podcast. How's it going, Maddie? It's going well. How are you, Lisa? It's going great, Matt. Happy to see your sunshiny face. Sure. <laughs> see, the real question is, if there was more than one of me, I don't think the world could handle it. You're probably right about that. Yes. It would just explode. Explode. That's mm -hmm. a fact. You're in this morning to talk about a movie that I saw and I encouraged you to see it. You said that there's a lot of buzz about this movie with the award season coming up. It's called The Power of the Dog, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yes. And what did you think? Way too much male nudity. <laughs> Way too much. <laughs> well, let's see what Mahin Shaw thinks about that. Yeah, she's the one we need to talk about. That. Right, That's her right, segment. Right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mind it. It was bad i know some of those boys being you know cowboys you would think they'd be a little bit more tan but <laughs> I, I don't know maybe it's just hollywood i don't know <laughs> that's hilarious well what did you think overall yeah it was okay i don't know i i don't know why it's getting so much buzz i mean the story's okay the acting honestly wasn't anything special i know that sounds bad to say about this cast but I, it really didn't do a whole lot for me thank you, know? you because isn't that what i said I said, I don't know what the buzz is about, but 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, well, the critics are loving that movie. That's yeah. why it's getting nominated, and I just, I, I understand the story. I got it. A lot of the 
reviews because I'll do this every now and then. I'll read reviews after I watch a movie if right. I don't get it, especially something like this. Mm-hmm. So I read several reviews, and a lot of the reviewers said you need to watch it at least two or three times. I'm like, <sighs> no, I watched it once. Right. I got what they were doing. I understand all the the tricks and things, all the hidden stuff. I understood it the first time through, and it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an okay, interesting story, but again, the acting was just. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch is great. Jesse Plemons is great. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, Dunst is great. But they just they were just kind of there in this right. movie. Right. Uh, the biggest takeaway that I think is the best thing of this whole film is how it was shot in the cinematography. I thought it was just beautiful. Some yes. of the shots are extremely creative. Yes. Um, it was shot in New Zealand, so that helps with the beauty. But uh, other than that, I mean. <laughs> It's not a must-see for me. No. I mean, if it gets nominated for a bunch of stuff, I think people should watch it just to be like, yeah, okay, I understand why, or no, I don't get it. Because right. I personally don't get it. I, right. I It wasn't a horrible movie. It wasn't a great movie. I'd say it's below average all day long. Okay, how many reels are you going to give it? Two and a half. Two and a half. And that's being yeah. generous. Right. Well, I did see it a while ago, yes, and I you told did. you, I said, mm-hmm. I'm not, I wasn't crazy about it. Um, it's uncomfortable to watch because the main character is very, he's a bully. Yeah. And yeah. he's just mean to be mean. And um, so you're, you know, it's not a feel good movie whatsoever. Right. Well, and that's one of those things that Benedict Cumberbatch talks about is he's not that way right. ever. Even on a bad day, he's a very sweet, kind man. Mm-hmm. And he had a very hard time doing this role. I bet. Very I bet. hard time. It took a lot of practice for him to be this this mean and this angry yeah. for however many days it took him to shoot it. Exactly. So, but still, it's his acting was great, but yeah. it still was just like, it, I, I like Doctor Strange better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's got kind of an interesting twist at the end, it which surprised me. Yeah. Really surprised me. Yeah. But yeah, so, okay, let's give your mother a call and see what she thought about the movie. Ma Henshaw's coming up next on Magic. Yippee, good morning. Good morning, Ma Henshaw. Lisa and Matt calling on Magic 99.1. Hi, how are you? We're doing great. How are you doing, Ma? Fine. Good. I have technical difficulties with my phone, but it worked. Oh, good. I'm so glad we got through to you because we have to hear what you thought about the movie Power of the Dog. Uh Oh, my goodness. I did not care for it. I'm not I... surprised. I it was so slow and and kind of I know it was set in the 20s and but it it just dragged and then you try and figure out the hidden meanings and stuff and I I don't know I had difficulty with that that actually straightened out some of my thinking on it I mean Benedict was very good and I won't say his last name because uh, you won't know what Matt said his last name was. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> cucumber something. <laughs> I did not say that, Mother. I, how dare you? You did, too. I believe I you, Ma. I believe oh, you. My, and then Corey Mc, Smith McPhee, and I leave out the Smith, they were very good. I mean, the acting was good. I don't think it was earth-shaking, but it was very good. But I thought it was a very strange uh, um, story. That's all I can say with a lot of hidden... Oh, but you have to say there there were a lot of uh, booty shots. Is that a good way to put it? (laughs) Yep, a lot of booty shots. You're right. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, was that... uh, 
Was it uncomfortable booty shots or were they all right? Uh, I, it was all right to me. <laughs> I thought it was fine, but then, you know, I'm kind of a naughty lady at times, oh, so you never lady. know, you right. know. <laughs> Right. How no. dare you? Right around Valentine's Day, I'm telling Dad. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Did he fall asleep yeah, during the booty shots? Yeah, we met on Valentine's Day. You know how that went. <laughs> right. Right. Well, Ooh. yeah. Did um did pa, did Pa Hinshaw have any snores during the movie? No. You know he kept away through the whole thing, and he said, "Well, he didn't care for the." It either really, you know? Yeah. But the thing is, I said, well, how come you stayed awake? Well, he had a big pan of popcorn. Aha, uh-huh, that'll do it. How <laughs> so many the popcorn? How many cookies are you going to give the film? I'm, I'm, I feel really sad, but I'm going to give it two and a half. Yeah. I just was not excited about it terribly. And I mean, it had nothing to do with the plot or anything. It was just, it was. To me, very slow-moving, getting to where it had to go, you know? Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, and a little hard to watch at times, I thought. Well, thank you, Mahinsha. We appreciate your review this morning. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Magic 99.1. You got it. So, Matt, what are you going to review next week? All right. So it was my co-host pick for next week. Uh, We are going to do the classic romantic comedy starring Will Ferrell. Step Brothers. Step Brothers. <laughs> he, he said he can't handle any more drama. He knows it's award season. He's yeah. like, I need something to laugh. Right. I, we both love Step Brothers. Yes. It's going to be a fun review. Yeah, it will be super fun. I have never seen a Will Ferrell movie that I didn't laugh really hard at, so that will be fun. I've seen a couple. Yeah. I've seen a couple, but they're uh, typically... Not his comedies. Yeah. Which is why I didn't laugh. Well, we'll look forward to that. Check out the podcast. It's called The Real Film Nerds. Maddie, thanks for coming in. Lisa, thank you as always, young lady. You're welcome, young man.